Hello, and welcome to another episode of Black Brew. I'm Aaron. And I'm Joshua. And we're your co-hosts. Today we've got some fucking amazing hot topics for you. First, we're going to be discussing political representation. Joe Biden has set out to have the most diverse cabinet ever, saying his cabinet is what America looks like. But will that be enough to have a more progressive America? Later, we're going to get into some pop culture tea with Derek Jackson, the relationship guru who revealed to over a million Instagram followers that he was involved in multiple affairs. Today, we've got some amazing Black queer perspectives, but Josh... Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Let's get into some political tea. Shall we? Okay, so... um, I don't know how much of his cabinet has been confirmed but he Mm -hmm. released a photo i think maybe all of his cabinet has been confirmed i don't really know but he released a photo on uh twitter a while ago and it said a cabinet that looks like america um which is interesting since there is a whole controversy with a congress person tammy duckworth who got in got backlash because she said she was, wasn't going to confirm any more of his, wasn't going to vote to confirm any more of his cabinet picks because his cabinet was lacking uh, Asian American representation. And he said, he, Biden said he was going to add someone higher up that was Asian. I don't know if he did that or not, but that's what he said he was going to do. So how do you feel about uh, Joe Biden's cabinet? So I do think it's good that it is diverse. I don't know in detail about each person's positioning, but I, it's, it's good to see people who look like us in these positions, but what good is it going to do? And I say that with what positions did he put these people in? Is it, are they in positions that they can actually make a difference for their communities? Are they in a position where their opinions and experiences will manifest in policy with him? And also, is he is he sincerely about the, 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 the diversity that's present? There's physical diversity, and then there's diversity as advocacy and work. Will his policies and work reflect that? As far as I can tell, it doesn't. Um, you know, just for the past few months mm-hmm. of this year. Yeah. And so I feel like it's such a shallow attempt. It's another example of performative advocacy and performative um, activism. And, I, you know, that person's right. If he wants to literally have a representation of all people, he should have an Asian person there. But more so, I think we should, like, in my mind, is like the most practical sense is to create a committee or a member on the cabinet who leads a committee for who tackles particularly diversity, multiculturalism, and the issues surrounding it. And then they, working in conjunction with the rest of the government, help make policies, help make um, solutions that actually benefit these groups. Because now, like, some people some people might disagree with that because some people might say 
that and that's why people thought that he had chosen Kamala because they were like okay she's gonna end up probably being the quote unofficial chief diversity officer of like the White House and we know how people who become diversity officers um how they end up being exploited and how people of color end up doing a bunch of free labor um this has also gotten to the interesting question of because you did say like descriptive representation which is about just like do i have someone who is representing me who looks like me and Mm -hmm. the answer to that question is more or less yes but then there's a whole more complicated uh kind of representation which is are they voting in my favor are they legislating and whatever it is that bureaucrats do to like uh represent me in my favor and this is how i got people to talk about identity politics which is that people say the democratic party only cares about identity politics because they only want people to look like them they care about your race and your gender and like and you know all that's you know, women's studies crap. But even though I I know what the definition of identity politics is, that that people have, like, distorted that, but, like, that is something that people have been talking about in terms of, like, this whole, like, representation in his cabinet. I don't think it's wrong. Um, And again, it comes, it goes back to that, like, making it appropriate. I think that we should broaden our pool of picking people, um, to be not based on our biases as the race or identity that we are, but we still should hold there to be a standard. So like, is this person appropriate for this job? Um, Is this person qualified for this job? Is putting, putting a black person in this position, if like, what is the purpose of the diversity? I, I think that's what people feel like, his cabinet has i think people and this is racist but (laughs) and sexist but people feel like okay you're not picking qualified people you're just picking people who look more diverse and this i guess comes from maybe the right saying oh you're just doing identity politics but it also comes from like the more leftist people who are like yeah you got you know a bunch of like people of color but like the policies might not be good it's like how it's like Joe. Explain to me how you're going to let these people of color hold you accountable and hold your policies accountable. That's what I care about. It's it is a first victory to walk into the door, but that victory is not winning the battle. It's not even winning the war. Those two things are done by the work, and I need like. I, I don't care, like, I do care about what they look like in the office, but I also want them to, like, be good and be vigilant and actually involve the concepts of diversity and multiculturalism in their decisions, whether that is housing of uh, um, housing and food or agriculture or economics. Like, I need that person to want to have actively stated that they're going to keep their framework of keeping in mind of minorities in the process of constructing things. But do you think that, do you think that um, people of color can be qualified for these jobs? (laughs) Because Megan McCain does it. I I do. Megan McCain's fucking racist. (laughs) But But her makeup artist is gay, Josh. Am <laughs> they white? Uh, now, bitch. 
I don't know, but you could probably, I, I could probably, I could give you three guesses. You probably only need one, but I don't know for sure. Um, I, I think it's definitely to say that a group of people is not qualified because of who they are. That is definitely the root of racism right there or part of the root of racism. Well, so she said, and we can get into identity politics too, but she was talking to, so she was talking about her place on the view. And she said, this is, you know, happening all without the, you know, Asian hate crimes. She was like, we've only had one Asian co-host on The View. So does that mean that one of us who, the five of them who are not Asian, that one of us should leave, you know, The View so that we can hire an Asian co-host? And she was like, we need to care more about qualifications than we need to do about race and gender. I'm like, why can't we do both? Well, because she doesn't want to have to leave The View because for an Asian person. So my question for her is like, so when will an Asian person get to be here? When will a black person? I guess when someone here? leaves. Because if we keep basing it on qualification, qualification, and white people are the majority, and people have racial biases, and if we're not actively trying to go against it, then we never get to get in those spots. Well, I guess she probably doesn't see it as that systemic as you pointed it out to be. That is just a matter of you just were not qualified to get it. Maybe she thinks that there are no qualified Asian, you know, commentators. I think the issue is why people believe that we still have common ground or that we've ever had common ground with them. Mm -hmm. And until until white conservatives see see the truth of that. Like this is going to forever be an ass backwards conversation, an ass backwards approach to even trying to fix anything, and it's frustrating because like how do you convince people who are clearly seeing that we're not even grounded? They won't even acknowledge the factors that we consider making things not even. Like they they say it's made up. I don't know. Like I just don't. I've, so I have a question. Hmm? I have a question. Mm-hmm. So what what do you say to your white friend or whatever that they are if they say to you like so like am i supposed to give up my position at my employment for like a quote diversity hire like am i supposed to give up my spot as a white person to you know a person of color i don't think it would be given up it wouldn't we can we wouldn't take jobs away from people we'll be adding people into the jobs and uh, yes, there's going to have to be a, at least a minimum quota of certain groups of people present. But within that quota, if you're wanting, because the way this shit works anyways, is that the quota for the amount of white people is not hard and fast. The quota for black, Hispanic, and Asian, that is like very limiting, is a very limited amount. So even if a company is meeting its quota, the, the white people still have an advantage. If you're the top out of all the white people that is applying for this job, you're going to get in. But you're going to get in. But for black people, we have to go above and beyond and then compete against each other for a minimal a minimal positions. But if we, without the quota, like I said earlier, we wouldn't even make it into the building anyways. I don't think we should, I don't think business in the world should continue having to like 
actively put people of color in there, but like it is, it is a band aid for us to use until we completely or for the majority solve the race, the issues that come from the racist system and dismantle it. Like everything that white conservatives complain about dealing with this, it's going to perpetually exist until we dismantle the thing that they're refusing to dismantle. It's very confusing. They, they look at the symptoms of it and they get mad at it, but they refuse to see like the disease itself. It's like someone having cancer and you can clearly see the tumor, but they're sitting there complaining about how they can't see out of their eye, but there's a tumor on the eye and they don't understand why they can't see out of the eye, even though they can see the tumor, but they refuse to see the tumor. I I love your <laughs> I love your metaphors and analogies. You know, this entire podcast series, you have used so many body part analogies to describe politics. You know that, right? You said what? Was you've, that used, like- oh, you've used a lot of body part like analogies to describe politics. You know that, right? I do, don't I? You really do. But I think it's because that is the most relatable thing that is across the world that we could experience as people is what the most physical we can get is the bodies that we're in. And I think my brain takes advantage of that. I see, I see the world in like anecdotal images. Or maybe, maybe you are subconsciously evoking the body politic. Have you read about the body body politic? I haven't. You need, I feel like if you're going to be using these analogies about the body, you maybe you should read about the body politic. Cause that's something very interesting. What I was going to say about the situation that I think, and I've expressed this on social media several, several times, is the kind of, like, compare, the, like, it's not even a comparison, but, like, a, I guess a dichotomy of qualification with identity, such as race and gender, and how we, I hate the, I always hate this, I don't even know what situation that people create, where they say, like, well, like, you know, like, we should not have to, you know, replace a white person with a person of color. It should be based on qualifications because it insinuates that people of color are not qualified to begin with. And I'm just thinking to myself, like, why do people, why do they create that little, like, scenario where, like, they automatically assume, and I know why it's because they're racist, but why do they create that scenario where they think that the person who would, quote, be replacing them is somehow not qualified and also a person of color. Like, it's kind of confusing when you really think about it. I'm like, well, how would you, I mean, like, I I don't, I don't understand. Like when, when you really like start trying to think about it, it all doesn't make sense because like we, if we remove the ability to see that person's race anyways, that person would technically and argumentatively be on equal ground with them in capabilities. So why does it they still went out? Is it still about race? I, I don't know. So mm, I well, my brain just can't comprehend how to <laughs> even work around this. Again, it goes back to race is a broken system that doesn't make fucking sense. And if we didn't have it, we wouldn't be having these problems. We really but here we are. Yeah. Perpetuating it. Yeah. 
Ugh. Well, before we move into our next topic, I just want to let people know that um, before you end up saying something completely ridiculously fucking stupid on national television like Megan McCain did on The View when she opened up her fucking mouth to say some shit about identity policies that she obviously had nothing, she had no idea what she was talking about, mm-hmm. I would recommend reading the Combi River Collective Statement about identity politics that was founded by three black feminists if you actually want to know the actual real definition of identity politics come be river collective statement or just google barbara smith black feminist all right let's get into our next topic so nobody okay this person had over a million instagram followers but i had never heard about him ever before me either um but he went viral like trending on twitter viral because he he's first of all this person is Derek jackson and he is supposedly allegedly i'm gonna use those words because i don't think he has any actual credibility anymore but um a relationship guru he's written books about stuff he's talked about infidelity and talked about just healthy relationships and he got on instagram um and posted an instagram video with his wife um pretty much admitting that he had been involved with affairs with like different women um i think it came out that maybe i think one of the person one of the women that he was with was like had a baby and he even admitted to like having sex in the in the bedroom that him and his wife share so this i mean we don't have to talk specifically about that situation Mm -hmm. but i thought we could talk about maybe cheating in general and relationships and how we both feel about that I feel like we both have the same opinion, but you know, we we should talk. <laughs> we should talk about it. So, I I don't. Do you want to go first? Or do you want me to go first with this one? Um, I you can go first. I I explain a lot of exposition. You can go first. Okay. So for me, as someone who's experienced it, I hate it. I think. It is one of the most disgusting things someone can do, not because of how they feel about someone else or what what feelings were inspired by them. For me, it's disgusting because it's rooted in the fact that there wasn't honesty, that there wasn't transparency, and that for me, a relationship is like, I wouldn't say covenant, that might be strong, too strong. It's like oh, it, shit. it's like an agreement, a, a, an agreement between two or more individuals, and they have limitations, boundaries, and expectations that are that should be agreed upon by both. And if I'm in a relationship and someone cheats, like not being honest with how they feel, not being honest about what they need, not communicating what they need, and instead leaves what we had agreed upon to be a monogamous relationship or when I am in an open relationship agrees to go and have relations with someone else without informing me without telling me. Yeah. It's that lack of trust. It feels like they can't trust me. It feels Mm -hmm. like they, they're not being open that I'm not meeting a need. They're not being open about what I can do to help them with the situation. If you know, it's just, it's that, it's that breaking of the agreement that bothers me the most, yeah. but logically 
that's just that's just how I feel reactively, but logically. Cheating is complicated. Um, in some positions, people really do feel like they can't communicate with their partner for whatever reason it be. And cheating is rooted in desire and something being missing. It's not usually about the partner. It is usually about that person themselves. And, you know, I've recently watched a TED Talk discussing about fidelity and infidelity and the concept of love and how we have to rethink Mm. it. Because I feel like when someone cheats on us, we see that action as a reflection on us. And in a lot of ways, it's a form of codependency. We've attached our image's worth by their actions and needs. And that may, it's hard because that's just how we're raised to be. But when someone cheats, like in my view, it is very disagreeable when I look, think of it logically. But I want to look at it empathetically. It's like, what was wrong with me that my partner couldn't be honest? Um, I first will ask myself that. And then like, what did my partner need? Why do they feel like they need it so strong? How did this extramarital, extra relationship interaction, how did it fulfill it? Did it fulfill it? What can I do? Like when someone cheats, there's a sign there's something wrong and that things need to be reset and reevaluated. But it's so hard to navigate because our emotional selves react so strongly to it. Because somehow we've subconsciously attached our value and identity to this person. And it's like, how the fuck do we separate that? I just find it to be a very conflicting and confusing situation, personally. I, yeah, I agree. Um, Especially what you said about it being a covenant. Um, (laughs) uh, (laughs) I I view cheating as... um, I feel like in relationship, um, the partners, they have all agreed to a set of rules for the relationship. Um, and if you break those rules in that relationship, um, then you have cheated. Um, I, I have not had really, uh, that, I haven't really had that much experience of cheating at all, really. Um, I think, I think I may have had a boyfriend cheat on me in high school. Um, but at the time, I mean, I wasn't, I don't think I was really upset about it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I was like, okay, are we still going to fuck? But, (laughs) um, now if I, now as someone who I feel like is a little bit more emotionally mature, if someone Mm -hmm. were to cheat on me, I think I, I think I would also be very upset as well. Um, especially if this was like something that had been like long term just because like i feel like and to describe cheating it's it's fucking unfair because here i am in this relationship being you know faithful to the uh rules that we have agreed to and i have not broken those rules and then you go out and you break the rules of our relationship and that it, it just feels unfair that, like, I, I, I obeyed the rules and you didn't. So that puts me in a position that, I don't know, I lose trust in you to be able to continue to obey those rules. I have, I guess I, 
I haven't really thought about it in maybe the sense that um it has something to do with like the person. I do agree with that to some extent just because like um I guess when I do think about it I do think that like I don't even know what I'm trying to say, but like I'm trying to think about it in my perspective. If like someone were to, were to cheat on me, then like how I would handle it, and I feel like I would be okay with communicating it because I feel like I have gotten to the point, especially being someone who is polyamorous, to be able to talk about, I guess, the dynamics of a relationship without it being too, I guess, like tragic for me, especially as also someone who's aromantic. So. That that is, I guess, my perspective on on cheating. It's fucking shitty, and you shouldn't fucking do it. I mean, you really shouldn't, especially in the twenty first century. We we have concepts and new grounds and ideas about relationships that can modify things to be more suited. And it, it's like if you feel like you need to have more sexual experiences with other people then let's have a discussion about having an open relationship and whether that works for me or not. And if it doesn't, then maybe we're not meant to be together. Um, we could have a discussion on like, if you feel, it feel like you end up being more polyamorous than what initially was believed, then let's, let's convene together and see, is this capable for our relationship? If it is, let's pursue it with boundaries and understanding. If it's not, let's part ways while hurting each other. Because when people cheat is an act that hurts their partner and we go in it knowing it hurts our partner. And I feel like it's incredibly selfish ever to make a choice that hurts people when yeah. it's not necessary. Yeah. When there is another way around it. And I feel like in the past, our issue is because it, it, there really wasn't a way around it. Like once you're married, you're married. Once you're in a relationship, it has this expectations. This is what monogamy looks like. This is what your relationship has to look like. But now we do not have that anymore. So there, there is no excuse for it. It's going to still occur. It's been occurring since marriage and relationships have been founded. But it's like it's even less acceptable now because there's alternatives that can stop it. And, you know, I don't even know if, like, I feel like when I think about cheating... And maybe, like, why someone cheats. I feel like that person, I, I, it is selfish. And I think that person maybe needs to realize why they, I don't know. I feel like there is some deeper reason as to why a person cheats than, um, than what the answers that they give to people, which I feel like people, most people who say they cheat is because like either A, they wanted um, more sexual partners or the other answer is that they were not getting some kind of emotional satisfaction. From, or, yeah, or from their, uh, the, yeah, from their partner, um, which the, the second one, the not getting emotional, I, I, I guess I can understand that. I guess I can understand it, maybe. But the other one, where they say they need <laughs> more sexual partners or whatever, I don't know. I Okay, so I know you did not mean it in this way, but it pisses me off when people, and this is not me being pissed off at you, but I don't know, I, 
I hate when people say that because I feel like people and I've heard people who are ignorant of relationship dynamics talk about polyamory and they say like about like open relationships and like polyamory it's like for people who like just want to cheat without suffering the consequences of cheating um oh yeah that's problematic as fuck (laughs) when um but then I've, I've, I don't know, they they go into polyamorous relationships and then they cheat with people who are polyamorous. And I'm thinking, well, if it wasn't the emotional thing that you didn't get from a partner, it and it wasn't that you needed more sexual partners because you got more sexual partners from the polyamorous partner, then what the fuck was it? Why did you continue to cheat? What was the reason? And it goes, what back, was the reason? It goes back to like how I said, when our partner cheats on us because we become attached to them, we see it as an attack to ourselves. That it's not just a one path information loop there. The other partner has attached themselves as an identity to their other partner. And when we enter relationships, there are extensions of our personalities and our experiences. So they're feeling something wrong with themselves. They do, and it's deprecating and it's not healthy. There's that's what I want. What is that feeling though? It, it could be a whole umbrella worth. It's insecurity. It's lack of feeling self-worth. It's a lack of lack of belief in oneself, lack of confidence, um, a sense, uh, a lack of sense of feeling alive. They, uh, I knew, I know in the TED talk, this relationship guru talked about how every time she talks to people who have cheated, they always repeat the same word and that they felt alive. And so there's some part of them that they feel out of touch with, or they, they feel like they, they've they ignored. And I think for us to truly stop ourselves from having affairs, it means before we enter a relationship and while we're in a relationship, we've got to be mentally engaged with ourselves and what our desires really are and not suppress ourselves anymore and just be ourselves and what we desire and what we are happy with. Because if not, our brain will manifest those feelings into an action. And that action affects people negatively. It's probably in the same vein of psychological processing as to why people destroy their relationships actively because they feel a sense of insecurity or people who avoid relationships actively because there's some sense of instability in who they are or people who get codependent. There's a lot. This all goes back to this lack. And there's several different pathways that our brains can choose to to physically manifest this instability or this lack of. Did that make sense? It sounds like people need therapy. I was about to say to go to fucking therapy. It, that's what it, that's it, what it sounds like. And that includes all of us. Yeah. Like literally like infidelity and infidelity can happen to anyone. Self self-deprecation and self uh, self destructing your uh, your relationships can literally happen to anyone as long as there is a un unacknowledged and untreated and unworked with insecurity fear or feeling it's going to happen and we we as a culture are not engaged enough with our emotional selves to ever really solve the problem I guess some people think that, like, 
So, like, what people say is, like, if you ever feel like you have, like, the temptation to cheat, you should immediately go to your partner and talk about it, right? Instead, like, it's better to communicate with your partner your feelings that you're having instead of going out and fucking cheating and pretty much ruining a person's life. I feel like maybe, and I've never cheated before in my life, I've never had the temptation to cheat before in my life, but, like, I wonder if people don't communicate. There's a, there's a whole plethora of reasons. Because like, of the never being able to, like, you know, emotionally express yourself, especially if you're, like, a man or whatever. But I wonder if people, I guess they feel like, they like, I don't want to, like, upset my partner. I want to protect their feelings. Or I don't want them to get mad at me because, like, I'm thinking about cheating. Or, or, or something along those lines as to why they don't tell people. Which doesn't make sense in my mind because then if you end up going and cheating, you end up making them you end up hurting someone anyway and worse yeah in a worse way so i guess i'm wondering now like i I understand like why people cheat right and i guess i'm wondering now why people don't go and have the conversation i feel like there's a stigma like our society not only shuns and shames cheating we shun and shame the act of thinking of I think mm-hmm. this is rooted in our like Christian origins. As oh a yes. Um, where we have made feelings, emotions, and human experiences sin, and whether society still calls it that or not, we're operating and reacting to it as if it is. Because back in the day, you were murdered if you were like a woman and you committed infidelity. Men were a little bit more permissible, but at the same time, like that's how serious we approached it and i feel like that was too extreme and because of it now did you think the scarlet letter was extreme hmm? did you think the scarlet letter was extreme it was fucking crazy <laughs> absolutely crazy <laughs> but like i feel like if we can destigmatize just in general people's thoughts feelings and experiences we can learn to separate ourselves and our worth from our, uh, the other person's feelings, mm-hmm. we can begin to have these honest and transparent dialogues. Yeah. But a lot I of people agree. are just not conscious or willing to tackle that part. They're too scared to. They're too scared to real maybe realize that they're meant to be alone or too scared to realize that relationships maybe not actually be functional things that we can do. It's like a whole variety of fears that are just manifesting but we've really, if you, we want a successful relationship, we've got to face it. And we, we just got to do that dirty work. We just got to be, we have to take what our partners say and we might get hurt by it, but we have to push that aside and think about they're needing something. They're in need, they're in pain. Let me push my ego back and see what I can do to fix this or help this or guide this or support this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, that's all the time that we have here. Damn, that went by really quickly. It did. All the time we have here today for Black Brew. Um, yeah. So the next time, um, I don't even know what I was gonna say, but um, oh, follow our Instagram, um, at at Black Brew Podcast. Um, and if you want to email us some topics, you can DM us on Instagram, but you can email us at podcastteatime1 at gmail.com. Um, yeah, that's pretty much all we have. Uh, and we'll see you next week. Bye.